Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'm excited to be here with all of you to talk about our report that we published uh, over the summer. Um, the title of the report, as you can see, I just want to learn girls of color and the school to prison pipeline in Massachusetts. Um, I'll start out by telling you a little bit about who we are and uh, then a little bit about our history of working on this issue. And then I'll turn it over to my colleague, Kayla, who will get into the nuts and bolts of the, of the um, findings of the report. So um, Massachusetts Appleseed is one of, I think it's now 18 Appleseed centers across the US and Mexico. Um, centers, uh, although we are part of this network and we collaborate, we, um, we you know, each, each state center works on issues that are of importance to their own communities. We set our own agendas. Um, Massachusetts Appleseed has three policy areas that we primarily focus on. One is educational justice, and the report we're going to be talking about today falls into that category. The other two uh, areas that we focus on are youth homelessness and access to justice. And by access to justice, we mean um, finding ways to make the courts primarily more user-friendly for people who can't afford to hire attorneys. So we have been working on uh, this issue of the school to prison pipeline, which is which refers to the way that discriminatory uh, practices uh, with respect to exclusionary discipline, that's suspension and expulsion, how those practices can funnel uh, students into the criminal justice, juvenile justice and criminal justice systems. Um, we began with reports in uh, 2012 which the, that initial report, Keep Kids in Class, New Approaches to School Discipline, essentially just um, showed that discrepancies, that disparities rather do exist, that, that um, uh, students of color, low-income students, and students with disabilities are much more likely to receive exclusionary discipline than their counterparts. Um, we followed that up in 2016. Um, School discipline in Massachusetts, how are we doing? It was a look back to see how much progress we had made. One thing that had happened uh, between the times that those two reports were published was that uh, Chapter 222 was passed in Massachusetts, um, and that's a statute that created due process rights um, for uh, and procedures for students facing exclusionary discipline. The 2016 report showed that disparities had that, no, I'm sorry, that overall. Um, exclusionary discipline had reduced greatly, um, that there were you know, far fewer suspensions and expulsions happening in Massachusetts after the passage of that new law, but unfortunately that the disparities still existed. Um, in 2020, uh, we collaborated with other Appleseed centers, Kansas uh, and Kansas and Alabama, to look um, more specifically at the issue of girls of color and the school to prison pipeline. So much of the narrative uh, across the country uh, when examining the issue of the school to prison pipeline focuses on boys and young men. And we really wanted to uh, shine a spotlight on the experiences um, and, the, and, and the discrepancies that girls of color face. So in 2020, we published our uh, Protecting Girls of Color report. Um, and we found overall that girls, uh, black girls in Massachusetts are five times more likely to be suspended, expelled, or uh, referred to law enforcement uh, as compared to their white counterparts. We, those, that report focused primarily on the numbers, as I mentioned, uh, and I think a lot of people were surprised to see that Massachusetts was actually not doing even as well as Alabama when it came to these kinds of disparities. Um, but we really wanted to look behind the numbers and find out what was going on in girls of color uh, in the actual experience, like day-to-day experiences they were having, having uh, in schools and, and to 
you know, learn more about what those lived experiences are. And so um, we did some additional research and published this most recent report over the summer, I Just Want to Learn, Girls of Color and the School to Prison Pipeline in Massachusetts. And now Kayla's going to talk a little bit about what we found. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Kayla Pulliam. I'm the staff attorney at Mass Appleseed. And this is a area that's close to my heart. And I'd like to take a little bit of time to talk about the takeaways from this report. And we'll, there are four major finding areas that we found with this report. The first being the school environment and what Black girls and girls of color are experiencing in schools. And a lot of times that looks like mental health issues, um, feeling the pressures to excel academically and attend college, doing all of the pressures of school while experiencing alienating anti-Black curriculums, being stereotyped based on either their race or ethnicity or the intersection of their gender and race and ethnic, uh, ethnic identities. And that intersectionality and that stereotyping creating hostility within the school environment. And a lot of times it was found that girls are having to reach out to faculty members that are not teachers to serve as those primary sources of support because the teachers were found to lack empathy and respect. And they just felt that the girls of color felt that their teachers didn't understand them. They also felt as though the lack of diverse teachers resulted in them not seeking out the support from those teachers because they didn't feel that there was the connection that there was confidentiality if they did turn to those teachers and just a general disconnect between the girls of color and their white teachers. So then it prompted, well, what does discipline look like for the girls of color in mass schools? And most of the girls that we uh, spoke with while working on this report experienced their first instances of exclusionary discipline, that being expulsion or suspension in elementary school or even middle school. And a lot of times this was due to dress codes being inequitably applied to girls of color based on their body shapes and their body types that just come with who they are. In addition to that, these girls were being disciplined, are being disciplined because of reactive behavior after they've been disrespected or mistreated by teachers or other students or inappropriate behavior, offensive behavior from other students, and they react to that. That's when they're experiencing those exclusionary practices. And uh, the girls really express that they just wanted to be able to tell their side of the story before they were being disciplined and they were not even given that decency. And then um, our report also showed that the girls were receiving different punishments for the same actions. So their white peers were receiving less harsh punishments or uh, just completely different punishment for the exact same actions. And then um, we talked to the girls about the short-term and long-term impacts of school discipline. 
And what that looks like for girls of color is exclusionary discipline on the girls of color at a young age has a strong impact on them in their later years. After experiencing exclusionary discipline, teachers in the school hold negative opinions of them and they don't let go of them, which a lot of times will result in more exclusionary discipline. Um, or girls felt like when they would return from suspensions or expulsions that they needed to minimize themselves, take up less space, be quiet, withdraw. And it affected their personalities, who they were, because they were living in fear of being disciplined again for just being themselves. And the last area for takeaways is what the female students of color are doing about the discrimination that they face in schools and what else do they want to see changed. They, the girls of color are meeting with school leaders and petitioning against faculty engaging in racist behaviors. And it sometimes leads to change. I can't say that it always leads to change, but some of the things that they would love to see in Massachusetts schools is more diverse teacher and administrative workforce. People that they can connect with, people that they can see themselves in, in a place that they spend so much time. They would like their voices prioritized, give them a chance to state their side of the story before being disciplined. Overall, having greater mental health supports and services and ensuring that students are held accountable for their actions, but in a meaningful way, in an equitable way that allows students to learn from their actions while not harming their education by removing from them from the classroom. And in addition to that, that looks like punishing girls of color the same way that you're punishing white students, um, having equitable dress code application. Also, the girls of color express that they would like to see implementation of restorative practices or conflict mediation. And when it's done correctly as an opportunity for students to engage with their actions in a healthy and meaningful way that can keep them in the classroom where they belong, but also it's transferable skills. After the, or in conjunction with the report, Mass Appleseed worked with our pro bono partners at Edgeworth Analytics and created a dashboard. And I'm going to take you through that dashboard to show the disparities in discipline in Massachusetts. And the website can be a little slow. But this dashboard allows anybody to view this map where you can sort by student characteristics, you can sort by gender, disability, economically disadvantaged, or um, English language learner. And it will show you by county, by district, what the disparities are in the discipline rates in that specific area. It is being a little slow. 
if I'm, I'm able to get it to load, what we will do is drop the link in the chat so that you can explore it. But I will take you through on the page that we can see. It'll go down and it'll break it down into graphs that are understandable. There are bar graphs and pie graphs that can actually show the number, the makeup by county of those racial disparities it, when it comes to exclusionary discipline. We have had some of our coalition partners work with us and be really surprised by some of the numbers in different districts, some districts you expect it. And then in others, it has been very surprising and it's a very good tool. And what our Edgeworth partners did is they compiled all of the information from DESE to put it into this. So all of the information that was available to us at the time is what this website is based off of, the dashboard is based off of, which is not coming up. So I'm going to switch back to our PowerPoint. And I am going to turn it over to Deb and I will drop that link in the chat. Thanks, Kayla. And if, if, the, if the website does load, we can always go back to it after I've talked a little bit about the recommendations, because it is, I think, a really useful tool uh, for folks, you know, because this, this data is available. Um, Destiny, the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education has this data, but they don't make it available to the public in a way that's really user-friendly. And so we're really pleased to be able to provide this tool that um, others in other parts of the state uh, can, or all parts of the state can use to try to take a look at their own school districts to see um, how they're doing in terms of these disparities. Um, but so getting back to the report, so we did have several recommendations. And I want to actually, before I get into the recommendations, mention that we worked on this report. We um, put together a, a community advisory board that um, helped in all aspects of this report, helped research it, helped uh, interview young young girls and uh, young women um, and, and helped, helped draft the, the findings and the recommendations. And they were really invaluable. The, the CAB was made up of, of students, of, of high school students, as well as um, members of the community who work with them. Um, and so I just wanna give a shout out to, to those folks. Um, but getting back to the recommendations. So we, we divided the recommendations up into three areas, as you can see on the slide, um, recommendations uh, that this, that could be done at the statewide level, often um, referring there to, to state legislation, but also advocacy with DESE. Um, at the district level, um, as so you know, the superintendent or the school committee, uh, as well as the school level. Um, and, and you know, we found that members of our CAB have really been interested in working uh, in their local communities, um, and we hope that this tool will help inspire others to do that as well. Uh, so at the statewide level, um, again, as, as I said, uh, this is these are aimed primarily at the legislature and the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, or DESE. Um, one uh, legislation that that had been filed this previous session um, and, and we're expecting to be refiled uh, in January was a bill to ban suspension, suspension and expulsion of students um, for dress code violations. Um, so that's that's actually not something that Appleseed's worked on in the past, but we became aware of it um, when we were doing this research. And, um, you know, we, again, looking back at our findings felt like um, this is really, you know, something that, that felt like, kind of a no-brainer, something that, you know, we, we need 
uh, too many people, too many uh, school districts um, are enforcing these kinds of um, these kinds of uh, dress codes in a way that you know is discriminatory, and it may not be intentional. You know, it may be the result of implicit bias, but um, but we felt like this was an important an important thing to include in our recommendations. Um, and and I, you'll, you may have even heard recently in the news, there was a case in uh, Malden at a charter school where um, a student was wearing a hijab and, and was uh, penalized for that. Um, so other kinds of uh, bills that we think uh, should, should be filed and should be passed. Um, again, this was filed last year, banning the suspension and expulsion of young students. Uh, this is a bill that we worked on in, in this session that we're currently in, and again, hope and expect it to be refiled in January. And this would uh, basically you know, prevent schools from suspending and expelling and expelling uh, students in pre-K through third grade. And then there's a phase in for fourth and fifth grade um, over the you know, next couple of years uh, after this is enacted. Um, again, you know, we heard from students that we interviewed that they their first experiences with uh, exclusionary discipline often happened at a really young age and, and, and had a huge impact on them many, many years later, made them feel um, like they needed to silence themselves and make themselves small. So we felt like this was a really important recommendation to include. Um, we also recommend uh, enacting comprehensive discipline reform legislation. As I mentioned, the, the, the legislature has in the past passed legislation to reform school discipline, but we feel like there's still uh, room for improvement there. And you can, hear, you can learn more about you know, what, we're, what we're thinking um, in the report with respect to that. Um, we believe that there should be legislation passed to, to create a system to encourage and retain diverse teachers in Massachusetts. And again, this is a bill that was filed already and uh, we're planning to support it in the upcoming legislative session. Um, but it was something that came up over and over again in our interviews that they, students really felt like they wanted to see teachers who looked like them and who had had uh, experiences like they had had. Um, and, and then the final piece of legislation we recommend is, is a bill that would uh, establish a task force or a commission or designate funding to explore the relationship between girls of color's experiences of abuse, sexual assault, and sexual harassment in relation to their school discipline and juvenile just, justice system involvement. And we didn't talk about this uh, a lot uh, today, but this was something that um, we, we've heard. It, it, the students that we interviewed didn't feel comfortable sharing their own personal experiences around this, but other partners of ours, uh, including Jane Doe, uh, who, who worked with us on the community advisory board really um, have heard anecdotally that this is you know, a big piece of the puzzle in terms of behaviors that girls might um, engage in that get them into um, to be disciplined at school, uh, but those behaviors are the result of trauma. And so we feel like this is something that needs further study. Um, and we would love for the state to do that. And then recommendations based on um, what the Department of Elementary and uh, Secondary Education should do. You know, we really believe, first of all, you know, the, the school, again, the DESI has definitely um, done a lot since Chapter 222 has passed, <clears throat> but there's room to do more. Uh, we think they should establish a culture shift away from punitive and exclusionary discipline, discipline and towards alternatives that keep students in the classroom where they can be learning. We also, again, feel like uh, any any um, actions that the the that the agency could take that would help 
diversify the curriculum to reflect the histories and experiences of non-white uh, histories and cultures would be very important in helping girls of color and other students of color, um, you know, feel like their experiences were uh, and their histories were being um, validated and that they themselves were, you know, being validated. Um, we also think DESE should provide, require and provide more rigorous training for teachers and all educational staff on anti-racist practices, cultural competency, and trauma-informed learning. And this goes again to, you know, what we heard students saying about how they didn't necessarily feel comfortable going to their teachers for support, um, you know, and, and a lot of that had to do, you know, not only with the fact that they, you know, there's so many uh, of their teachers were white, but also, you know, that those teachers didn't have uh, a better uh, understanding of, you know, the, of the experiences of these girls and also of, you know, sort of their own implicit biases. And so, um, you know, want to, we, we would like the department to take the lead on making, uh, on helping teachers get that training uh, that they need. Um, and finally, uh, we recommend that DESE place a greater investment in recruitment and retention of a diverse teaching force, which we've, we've already talked about why that's super important. Um, and we hope to be working with DESE towards these goals. We're um, part of a coalition of organizations that regularly meets with DESE to talk about school discipline issues. So um, and if any of you all who are watching this, you know, would be interested in working with us, please feel free to reach out and let us know. Um, so as I said, we also had recommendations at the district level. Um, so again, this is aimed at school committees and superintendents and the recommendations state that um, at the district level, uh, those entities should support the mental health of students by hiring more social workers and school counselors, especially social workers and counselors of color, uh, varying backgrounds, and who have experiences working with students of color. Um, we recommend that uh, the districts should uh, support the mental health of students also by allowing students to take multiple mental health days throughout the year and having daytime breaks for students while in school. This is something that came out again uh, over and over again when we rec when we were interviewing students. Um, they talked about sort of just needing, you know, sometimes getting upset again in response to something that another student had done or a teach something a teacher had said, or even just because of something going on in their home life or their personal life, and just sort of needing to be able to take a break sometimes, you know, just sort of step outside of the classroom and compose themselves and gather their thoughts and, you know, uh, and, 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 so that they don't, you know, act out on their on their feelings necessarily. They just need that sort of um, relief, that that safety valve. Um, and you know, they talk about the importance of mental health days and how you know they're not necessarily they weren't asking that they could take as many multiple health uh, mental health days as they want, but they were saying that you know mental health should be valued as much as physical health, and that sometimes it's needed for a student to just take a day. Um, to to you know unplug from whatever situation is happening at school or at home that might be uh, upsetting them. Um, we also recommend that school school committees and superintendents invest funding into training and implementing restorative justices or similar alternatives to exclusionary discipline. You know we there was the the students we interviewed and the cab the, the students on the cab um, felt really strongly that you know they they that. Um, People should be held accountable for their actions, but as Kayla mentioned, that it should be done in a way that's equitable and fair. And they really felt like restorative practices or conflict mediation would go a long way towards, um, you know, helping people resolve their differences in a way that doesn't remove them from the classroom and set them back in terms of their learning. Um, we also recommend, and this came again straight from the girls that we interviewed, 
that school systems implement systems where students can provide anonymous feedback or report inappropriate behavior uh, about teachers and faculty. So, you know, they talked, again, the students we interviewed talked again and again about feeling like their voices weren't heard, that they didn't get to tell their side of the story, and that there was this, you know, huge power imbalance, um, obviously, between them and their teachers, where teachers were just automatically believed um, instead of them. And so they, and, and they worried about, you know, reporting behaviors or comments or actions the teachers took, they worried about being retaliated against if they were to report those uh, to, for instance, the, the, the school principal. Um, and so they really wanted um, an anonymous feedback option. Um, and sort of following up on that or related to that, we also recommended um, that there be a way for students, an opportunity for them um, to get the support they need um, from members of, of the school and school community, I guess, um, or people outside of the school community um, who don't have mandatory reporting requirements. One of the things that they said that made them hesitant sometimes to go to teachers or other folks in, in, in the schools with their problems or with, you know, challenges that they were facing was they were worried about, um, you know, the teachers feeling like they had an obligation to report what they heard to DCF and, you know, then they worried about, you know, the separation of their families and, you know, they just wanted someone that they could confide in and sort of work through what would be in their best interest without it immediately going to DCF. Um, and, you know, and then finally we encouraged students and parents to attend school committee meetings and we encouraged the school committees to conduct listening sessions with parents and students at least annually so they can get the feedback um, from them, uh, you know, about what's going on in the schools because most, so much of the time the feedback they get is really limited to what teachers are telling them. And again, it goes to the students really feeling like their voices weren't heard and they, they want their, to be able to share their side of the story. And then uh, the last uh, area that we talk about um, is uh, again the the what the schoolhouse level, you know, what people can do at the schoolhouse level um, to to deal with these issues. And so we're again focusing here primarily on teachers and administrators, what they can do, as well as what students and parents can do uh, to address these issues. So um, on the teacher and administrator side. You know, again, allowing students the opportunity to explain their side of the story before subjecting them to discipline. That goes a long way. You know, when students feel heard um, and they feel like the system is fair, then they, you know, they are, are more likely to, um, to be willing to, you know, engage in whatever the system is and, and not sort of shut down as soon as uh, uh, an incident arises that results in discipline for them. So this, this sort of lends legitimacy to proceedings uh, at schools related to discipline and just generally made them feel, um, you know, would make them feel validated because they got to tell their side of the story again. Um, so some of these are similar to other things we said, but invest in, in, in training, uh, to, to implement restorative practices at schools, you know, the studies have shown, and one of our other colleagues, you know, has done some research into this, um, about the, the value of restorative justice and how, uh, how, how much better the outcomes are, as opposed to uh, exclusionary discipline. Um, so we think that uh, teachers and administrators should, um, should invest in that kind of training. Um, 
We wanted to also encourage the creation of affinity groups in schools, particularly where um, certain identity, identities are in the minority, so that um, you know, uh, students of color uh, or immigrant students or students with disabilities can feel you know, like they are part of a community uh, that understands their needs and the challenges that they face um, and can, can support one another. Um, and then we also recommended that um, teachers and administrators collaborate with students and in particular with girls of color um, in giving them an opportunity to voice uh, their concerns again and to, you know, to talk about what, um, what they're experiencing and what the impact of you know, discipline, for instance, is having on them um, at for forums, meetings, and, uh, and other, other kinds of public opportunities. Um, and then focusing on what the parents and students should do, you know, we really encourage um, parents and students to get to know what their rights are uh, and to look at, you know, know your rights resources and opportunities with regard to school discipline. Appleseed plans to, uh, you know, make itself available. And I, we have lots of great colleagues and other organizations who I know are also willing to provide trainings on know your rights. Um, for students and parents so that if they are facing exclusionary discipline, they know, you know, how much time the school has to uh, respond, for instance, to an incident or how much, uh, you know, when, when a hearing is required or, you know, any, whatever the, the legal rights are, it's important that students and parents know them so that they can enforce them and feel empowered. Um, we also want parents and students to continue to speak up when they when the students are experiencing discrimination in the schools um, and to set up meetings with them, you know, whether it's the principal or school district leadership to use petitions, to rallies, meetings, whatever it takes to, you know, make sure that their voices are heard. Um, and then finally, we recommend that that students and, and parents, you know, use the data tool that we that we created with our pro bono partners um, to, to really understand you know, what the situation is in their own communities, how their communities compare to other uh, school districts, you know, that, that are nearby, and uh, to, you know, use that information to start a conversation with uh, school leadership about, you know, how to address those disparities in their own schools. So that's pretty much the end of our presentation. Um, do we wanted to leave time for folks to, to ask any questions they might have. So uh, there's, uh, if you look at the bottom of your screen, if you scroll down and hover, there's a Q&A function. I think Noah may have talked about this at the beginning of our presentation, but if you want to, um, you know, click in there, click that button and, uh, you know, type in any questions you might have, we would, we would be happy to answer them. And I, I guess we should also, maybe before we even get to that, Kayla, are you able to share the, the tool at this time? Working on that right now, Deb. Here is the dashboard. And while waiting for any questions to trickle in, I'm just going to show you how the functions in the dashboard work. I'm going to choose um, female. I'm going to try to. <laughs> um, without a disability but an English language learner. And I'm also going to choose Hispanic or Latino. I'm gonna try and zoom in just a little. 
I just chose Plymouth to get the numbers, which I cannot see on my screen because of me sharing my screen. Deb, do you mind reading those numbers for me? Yeah, absolutely. So when you when you add those um, those factors in, uh, what you find in Plymouth is that um, six point nine percent of students disciplined in Plymouth are Hispanic or Latino, um, and that's it says here that zero percent are white, but I feel like that can't be right. Um, total total Hispanic or Latino students are twenty nine. Uh, total white students, 15. It says Hispanic or Latino students account for 100% of disciplined students, but 65.9% of all students. Do you want to try and, and so, the, so you're hovering over the town of Falmouth now. Um, here it shows 5.3% uh, of students who are disciplined are Hispanic or Latino. Um, and that, again, Hispanic and Latino students account for 100% of discipline students as compared to 30% of all students. Do you want to try a different, I feel like something's not right here. Okay. Let's go. We will do a, an A here still keeping the gender at female. Yes, and this so time I chose Easton. And so this shows that 2.9% of African-American or black girls uh, are, are disciplined in, in the town of Easton compared to 1.1% of white. Uh, the African-American students make up 100, and, no, total students are 102. Uh, white students, sorry, I'm having a hard time reading this. African-American or black students account for 11.5% of dis disciplined students, but only 5.4% of all students in the town of Houston. Let's go boss. We'll do Cambridge. Cambridge. Um, so I'm just going to go to the bottom line here. Uh, African-American students in Cambridge account for 54.2% of disciplined students, but uh, only 24.9% of all students. And when that map is a little hard to read, you have some nice graphs um, that will actually show you across all demographics. And you can, there's a drop down um, here where it has state totals, or you can choose by district or city. And so um, Kayla, we have a question in the, in the question and answer. Um, so someone, uh, one of the attendees has asked, do you share your report directly with local school committees or would that be something that parents would do? So um, we encourage uh, parents and students to share this with their own school committees, and then we, um, you know, we offer any support uh, that they might need to do that. And in particular, our colleague Diana, um, who is our community engagement uh, coordinator, is working with girls and parents in the towns of um, Malden, I think Malden, Lowell, and Lawrence right now, who are working on, um, you know, trying to get meetings with their school committees to discuss uh, to discuss these disparities in their towns. And so, you know, we 
provide whatever support the folks need uh, to be able to, you know, get those conversations going in their own communities, but we don't share them directly. Um, and we have another question. Uh, are the best practices you discuss things that have to be implemented in each school or at a more town regional level? So that's why we, it's a great question. And that's why we included, um, you know, recommendations at all levels. So um, there were some that can be done in, in an individual school where parents or teachers, um, parents or, or students, you know, approach teachers and principals directly. Um, but we also have, you know, recommendations uh, for school committees and for um, superintendents at the district level. So it really depends on what students uh, and parents are comfortable doing, where they're most comfortable, they feel like they'll have the most success. You know, what we really hope is that, um, well, it's certainly, you know, possible for an individual parent or student to approach a school or a school district. What we're hoping is that, um, and this is the work that our, our colleague Diana is doing, that um, that students and, and parents come together uh, to form coalitions or working groups where they can um, collectively, you know, approach teachers or superintendents or principals uh, with their concerns, because, you know, that there's power in numbers. And I think that it, it also provides a sense of security for the folks who are, um, who are looking to uh, start that conversation in their own districts. Um, let's see, I think that's the last question we have right now. Um, Kayla, did you have anything, any last thoughts you wanted to share? I didn't. Um, I wanted to thank everybody for being with us and listening to our presentation today. I think it's very important that we share the information far and wide and that as many people as possible know about the dashboard tool to use and to have in the arsenal when implementing recommendations, especially at the school um, and district levels for um, the community coalitions that go and are fighting this at a grassroots level. Yeah, I, I echo that. And again, you know, really want to, to invite people to contact who are interested in this issue to contact us, you know, if, if they want to work on it on a state level, you know, we are, as I mentioned, we already are involved in supporting uh, legislate some of the legislative uh, initiatives that we mentioned earlier, and we'll be getting involved in, in others in, in January. Um, when the new session starts. And, you know, if you want to follow Mass Appleseed uh, on social media or sign up to receive our um, newsletters and, and action alerts, you know, we'll, we can let you know uh, when is a good time to take action on a statewide basis and how you can do that, um, you know, how you can contact your legislator, who your legislator is, that sort of thing. Um, and, and, you know, again, if, if you, you know, are interested in starting a conversation in your own school district or at your own local school, you know, we'd be happy to talk with you about that um, and, and, you know, sort of walk you through how you might approach that and support you in any other way that, uh, that you might need.